the only way to score is of course to play uh, with a hand break off. Good afternoon, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm joined this week by our regular guests, The Athletic writers, James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Hello. I was expecting slightly smileier faces, but you know what? That's okay. We'll get to that in a short while. Uh, how was your evening? Was it all right? Was it good evening last night? It was eventful. Yes, it was. We'll get right onto that. On the line, as usual, even he may have a smile on his face this morning. It's Mr. Lee Dixon. Good afternoon, Lee. Good afternoon. That's not a smile, that's wind. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're on the line. Uh, now, Lee, uh, I should say before we get going, Lee was getting us in the mood for Arsenal v Chelsea by posting videos of some what I'd call very 90s tackles on Graham Lasso by him and vice versa. Uh, I think VAR might have had something to say about one or two of them. I think my favourite, I mean, I'm assuming we've seen these guys. Uh, what My favourite was when... Um, well, I say Graham essentially outpaced Lee. And Lee... What? <laughs> I knew you'd react, sized him down and then made the sign that said he was diving. That one didn't make me laugh. I retweeted them because they were done by, I was working for NBC last night and they uh, they thought it'd be funny to drag up that because obviously I worked with with Graham and I was sitting next to him doing the commentary at NBC last night at Stamford Bridge. So they thought it'd be fun to put those on. Um, but his tackle was miles worse than mine. I was trying to um, side him down from the sides, but he head-on went over the top of the ball and um, I've still got the scar on my shin to prove that. So I believe you yeah. might have. That was a nasty one. Sorry, Amy, you were going to say. Uh, Lee, when you're doing your commentary, um, are, you, are you too professional to react or do you allow yourself those little moments, especially in a situation where last night where maybe you're sat next to a someone mm. of a Chelsea persuasion and there's a, a late equaliser, a little fist pump or a you know, full-on oh, Ian yeah, right yeah. No, tongue, I'm, tongue sticking I'm, out? Yeah, obviously not um, not in my voice because obviously I have to be uh, impartial. There was a, there was a lot of standing up and fist pumping, standing next to Graham because we take it in turns when we do a three man booth to take the replays and uh, and it doesn't whoever took the last one generally takes the next uh, you know leaves a gap for the other one to come in. So I think it was Graham's turn to talk about the Arsenal equaliser, which was uh, <laughs> great took great glee in watching him um, talk about it while no I was doubt. standing next to him fist pumping. <laughs> as as I believe we all were at that point. Uh, now, before we start on last night's game, and of course we will talk about it, a uh, little known fact on this day, 22nd of January in 1927, Arsenal v Sheffield United uh, became the first ever game broadcast live on radio. Finished 1-1, which is a little odd seeing as we played them the other day and it was also 1-1. Uh, anyway, I thought uh, I'd ask for your favourite uh, Arsenal radio moment. James, I'll start with you. Uh, mine actually is the Dennis Burkamp Patrick against Leicester. I was listening to that game uh, in my kitchen as a kid, and I just remember the commentary for his third goal and I, it, that extraordinary moment and being desperate to see it and so excited for the highlights later that night. It's a good one, that. Amy? Uh, I'm going to go for a game I really wished I was at, which is the 1987 semi final replay, White Hart Lane. Um, 2-1 Ian Allenson David Rowe Castle I was uh, uh, too young to go to White Hart Lane and, and was listening to the radio and there was a game in Scotland the same night and the radio commentary went to Scotland 
at basically the time in the David Rowcastle stoppage time winner. So they returned to White Hart Lane and there was just this noise of bedlam. And whoever the commentator was spent about a minute going, what drama, we have never seen the light, without saying who scored. So it was quite stressful, actually. And when the description of the goal scorer was actually said out loud, um, I think I screamed quite badly because the, the, the babysitter came running upstairs think, thinking I'd been murdered or something but yeah that, I've that been probably, murdered yeah. I did, you know when we you listen to games on Tottenham. the radio you do you get that kind of noise sometimes before you actually know what's happened and it's it's that kind of suspended disbelief very nice uh, I was listening to uh, Arsenal against Juventus away from home in 1980 and I was so gutted with how we, we couldn't get a goal I turned it off with about five minutes to go and then I thought well I can't I need to know what's going on. And I turned it back on and I knew because the crowd noise was different. There was something different about it. So I didn't actually hear Paul Vasson, uh, rest in peace, Paul, uh, get um, get the goal. But I knew that something was up. And then they said, Arsenal, it was Peter Jones. Of course it was Peter Jones. You know that sort of crackly sound you got? But it was just beautiful hearing Peter Jones talk about how historic a night it was. One of my favourite moments, even though I didn't hear it. Lee? Well, it's a bit difficult, this one for me, because I generally don't think I've ever listened to an Arsenal commentary on, on radio because obviously I was normally playing in them there, yeah. and before I signed I didn't really wouldn't listen to Arsenal because I was a City fan so um, but I've got two made up ones that if I was an Arsenal fan would have been brilliant to listen to on the radio one of them would have been uh, Arsenal Coventry at home me scoring my own goal what the what the commentator would have said about that <laughs> so I can only imagine what the fans were saying at home so he's gone and done it again or something I don't know that one or actually won one. a British comedy award Lee I don't know if you know that <laughs> so thank you for that and what was the other one <laughs> the other one would have been the um, and, and I'm not condoning violence here but I would go for the 91 uh, Old Trafford points deduction brawl mm. where I mean, to commentate on that, he must have been going, oh, yeah, and then, oh, oh, hang on a minute. I just am trying to imagine if you're an Arsenal fan sitting at home <laughs> listening to that unfold on the radio and trying to work out where everybody was on the pitch and who was throwing punches and why they were throwing punches at each other. And then, um, and then obviously, it would have all settled down then and there would have been an explanation of what happened. If you could imagine that, it would have been... Uh, I think I would have liked to listen to that. And also a stern admonishment as well, even though everyone is listening, is going, go on, get in there, go on. By the way, and by the way, we should actually do, at some point, favourite fight at Old Trafford as well, because there's a number that we can there's, choose there's from. There's a few of them, isn't there? There are a yeah. few of them. Uh, now, Lee, um, we, yes. I do want to talk about last night. I know you had your doubts about Mikel Arteta. Uh, mm-hmm. Seven games, one two, one in the cup, drawn four, lost one. Last night, we came back twice away at one of our big rivals having played with 10 men for 60 minutes. This is a yeah. semi-serious question, but have mm. we got our Arsenal back? <laughs> oh, I love the fact you just dive in two-footed every time we do something good. It's great. I love the passion and the fan, the fan in you. I love that bit. Um, and the fan in me is jumping up and down as well. Um, it was a great, great game to be at. Um, you know, to see to see what unfolded in front of us, to see this actually show some some spine and some spirit and all of that lot. I was I was um, I was jumping inside with my microphone. Um, so it, well, yeah, it was great to watch, and and there was absolutely there was definitely um, a lot of 
green shoots of progress and, and, and that we've not seen that for a while. And I think from, you know, putting going flipping into a fan mode for a second, if I can possibly imagine what you guys are, are really feeling, then I can see why, you know, just the way the game unfolded that you you felt as if you would get some you've got something back and he knows what it's all about and I think that's the most important thing to the fans and and seeing that, you know, it's a spirited um, place to be, and I'm and I'm happy for for every. I'm happy for the players, but the the fans, I'm I'm really pleased for. And um, but I'll throw another butt in. But you know, next week exactly the same when we're playing um, in a different environment when it's not quite as hostile when we have to um, think our way through a game. So that's the next thing to come. But you can't have any of that. But if you haven't got a little bit of fight, and we saw a little bit last night for sure. I saw a lot of people saying how noisy the fans were, and you could hear it all through the game. That mm. made a difference, didn't it, James? Yeah, and I don't know if you know, there's this lovely detail, Martinelli's celebration where he, he stops in front of the fans and folds his arms. He actually copies that off a bloke in the crowd. We as he's him. running towards the crowd, <laughs> there's a guy stood there doing it, and he just does it. And that sort of speaks to a lovely synchronicity between players and fans that hasn't really been there for so long now, certainly for most of this season. I mean, Lee, we're talking about it from a sort of fan's perspective, but from a tactical perspective, they had 10 men, they looked organised, they had men behind the ball. Were you impressed with what this team did tactically in this game? Yeah, I think. I mean, we started OK as well. There was a, there was, there was a few... There was a few little signs early on that that you know we need we needed to embrace the fact that we got pace on the on the sides of our, our pitch and and Martinelli and Pepe get them in the game, and there were signs that there, there was possibilities to to break on Chelsea. Not an awful lot of signs because they didn't have a shot at goal, so it was kind of like. But the, you, until the sending off, which was what remind me the twenty fourth minute or something. I was sitting next to Graham and kind of going, you know, the game was swaying one way or the other. Chelsea had quite a lot of possession. and um, I was still, you know, moaning my head off like I normally do at, at Mesut Ozil, but that's just a personal thing that I just, I can't bear to watch him walking around. It really hurts. And um, so I was, I was doing the usual bit and I was writing on a piece of paper next to me. It's only a matter of time before... Um, before Mustafi makes a mistake as a joke <laughs> because we kind of got a running joke me and Graham about it and um, literally as I finished the sentence and put a sentence uh, full stop on it it was it was yeah. kind of it happened in front of us but they 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 did sometimes when you play when you go with 10 men everyone presumes that playing with 10 men is really difficult um, and it's not that hard what I'm, I'm not taking anything away from by any means it becomes um it almost simplifies people's thought processes, so players start to think kind of binary. These, these um, one thing to think about. We've got one less man, so you kind of don't go off flamboyantly thinking about the game too heavily because it, it it just makes it a lot easier to understand. And when you do that, the players stay in positions a bit longer. They they it looks a bit more compact because they think they've got to be like that. And you're not a man down um, anywhere, but up, up the top of the pitch because you just you know you re you reorganise so you you're in the same position as you were, regardless of where the person was sent off from. So it's the difficult thing is um, is when you are down to 10 men and you've lost the goal like they did. So it was a double whammy, the fact that they scored the penalty and now you're 10 men. That's the difficult thing. If you've got something, you can kind of hold... I always 
didn't find it difficult. We, the teams I played in, just kind of went, you know what, we're 10 men, so what? And it always looks heroic because you're going, well, you're a man short. And it's, it, it, it's not as difficult as it looks. The difficult thing is getting back into the game. When I was looking at the, the possible substitutions, and I was like, Martinelli and, and Pepe, you've got to keep both of them on the pitch. You know, the pace is the only way to get back into this game. You're not going to outpass Chelsea and slowly build up and then get a creative goal. So it was obvious to me that that was going to be a mistake. And I think he realised that. You know, there's no doubt about um, the possession we started to have in the last five, ten minutes of the first half. And he, he looked at it and he went, you know, so that was a, that was a brilliant bit of um, noticing what was happening and, and adapting his substitution. And then he didn't. He kept Martinelli and Pepe on the pitch and... Obviously, Ozil went off eventually, um, but that pace was was there t- to see, and he and he was he was always he's always a threat because he's so direct, and um, and if you get a player that's going to run every time he gets the ball and run at you, then defenders it's a headache. You don't want you don't want to be run at every time. Yeah, I thought just being at the game and where the the press box is, you're you're right behind the dugouts, and um, uh, at Chelsea, I, I was sitting just a few yards really behind. Arteta essay. So obviously you're watching what's going on uh, in the dugout, and I thought it was really fascinating and a interesting insight into into him and how sort of advanced I think he is in his football management development, considering he's only done eight games. Which is to be in that situation, and you know the, the obvious thing to do is bring on Rob Holding straight away, because like that's what football managers do when you get a centre centre half sent off away from home. And the fact that he he bided his time and he had that faith, I think, in his own judgment to just wait a little bit and mm. then change his mind, I thought was really fascinating and instructive uh, uh, look at sort of how he goes in, about affecting a game during during the match because that's something that there's been one or two matches where maybe he hasn't quite got that right so far. You mm. could look at some of the substitutions over different matches and think, was that quite the right thing to do? And maybe it's something that has to you know it has to come into his his work on match days but he he managed that particular situation brilliantly interesting because at Sheffield United we we drew the game obviously and he was looking to make a substitution he thought about bringing Joe Willock on then he decided on Gunduzi but he couldn't actually get him on before they scored he was waiting on the sidelines so there is there's two sides to it i think there's one way of looking at it where it's like, well, he's very considered in what he does. Another way could possibly look like a bit of indecision. Um, I just wondered, Lee, can I ask mm. about the sending off? Because mm. I'm sat watching on my sofa and I see what Louise does and I kind of think, you know, does he need to make that challenge there? Is he acting on pure instinct there? Is he just panicking in the moment? Do you think he's got any choice in what he does before he gets the red card? No, no absolutely not. I mean, he's, he's obviously playing catch-up with a mistake and... In that in that specific moment, all you see is big red alert signs going. He's through. He's going to score. So you you you're going through the process in your mind. What what can I do? How can I affect it? How do I put? I can't. You make you're pretty sure early on he'll make you make the decision. He's he's not going to get there. He's too far behind to stop him getting a shot away. So I've got to do everything I can to put him off. I would have been shouting. You know, miss it. I'd have been shouting verbal things at him to try and put him off. I'd have been trying to grab his shirt, trying to flick his ankle in a, a putting off sort of way. And then the last moment, you kind of go, "I'm not going to do any of those. Nothing's going to happen. I'll just try and foul him." So th- there's no doubt that um, I think in the end, because he kind of missed his shot, 
it kind of looked as if it could have gone either way and the ref could have gone, do you know what, he's made an attempt to win the ball, it's just a yellow card. But in you know when you look at it again, it's kind of I don't think the referee had much choice to be honest with you. James, you said last night I saw the tweet when you said in that situation just let him score. We go one nil down. Yeah, and uh, and we just carry on with the game with with eleven men. Of course, it's a very emotional yeah. game for David Luiz. He's getting Chelsea fans singing. He's one of our own. It can't be easy for him. But that's what you're paid big money for is to make decisions under pressure. Go on. Burnt yeah, Leno yeah, could but, have done the but, same. Burnt Leno took his foot away. Yeah, he could absolutely. have been sent off and conceded yeah, a, a similarly really bad well, the situation. Thing, the it's about with, judgment. The thing, the thing is with that is is that um, it doesn't matter that it's David Luiz and it's Chelsea or, or whatever. You, it, it, it can be anything. Your, your instinct as a defender is to stop. You cannot let, in my book, you cannot let you can't just go, oh, I don't want to get sent off, I'll let him shoot and we might, you know, and it's a goal and we might get the goal back. It, that would not even enter your head. You, if, if it does, if that enters any of my defenders' uh, heads, then I'm going, what, what are you doing? What are you, what's the point of you being on the pitch? You have to go to the last, the last detail of the possibility of stopping the goal. And once you give up and let someone score, just because you don't want to get off, uh, sent off and you might think, in the long term, we've got a better chance with 11. Absolute rubbish. Because he might, might have. He, the, the, if you see where, if you see where um, how close it was that he didn't get sent off, then you go, well, he, he, he nearly got away with it. He very nearly got away with that. Because I don't think the ref was absolute. It wasn't one of them where you just, you just scythed him down, you go straight red. It was kind of bobbling around and, and, um, and it was a missed shot because of his... Um, pressure on 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 from behind. So I think he I think he probably went sixty forty with the red, and then then allowed VAR to have a look and go, yeah, you've got that right. It's fine. It's not you know. So I, you cannot let him score. Not not in a million years for me. I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, Lee. But just quickly, um, what did you think of Granite Xhaka's performance at centre back when he slotted in and, and took on that position? The new Barassi. <laughs> yeah. No, it was. I think um, he did really well. I, I was uh, when he when he went in there. I said, "Well, okay, he's a stopgap. How long is it going to be before Rob comes on?" And and as as you lads said, he, you know, he, he even at half time when he when they came out for the second half, I thought maybe he might have changed it. But obviously, that's you know taking a, a substitution away from you later on. And he was doing well enough not to to be a panic. Um, I wouldn't like. You know, necessarily to see him there every week. Having said that, in our centre-back partnerships that we've been looking at over this uh, current season, then you know he, he can't do much worse, to be honest with you. So, but I thought he did really well. I think he read the game well. He didn't, you know, he's a um, he he didn't get out of position. I don't think he was tested because of it. when you're playing like that as well. When you're playing in a, a, a with a man down, you're naturally going to be um, deeper and you're going to have the squeeze from the midfield is going to be closer to you. So your protection is, is a little bit more than it normally is in an 11 v 11. So, um, but he did, I think he did really well. I mean, we're going to talk more about Xhaka uh, uh, in, a, in a while. I want a, a more general point, Lee. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it's a turning point. I mean, I'm really not. I actually felt well, the turning. You, you are. You are. Well, I'm not. No. Exactly what you're doing. <laughs> well, hang on a minute. I was asking the question. <laughs> no, but I because I sort of felt the turning point was when Mikel Arteta was appointed. That's what I felt. Yeah. But, yeah. but with a result like that, 
I'm interested from a dressing room point of view, how much of a difference does it make to the dressing room? Do you only later in the season look back and go, oh yeah, that was the moment when we bonded? I mean, how, I mean, how big a result is it, is what I'm asking? Well, the, the, the size of the result you'll see over the next few weeks. Bournemouth in the Cup, Burnley away. So they get beat, get beat, knocked out of the Cup, and then they go to Burnley away and lose 1-0. Then you then you're back to square one. So that's the, that's how a pro, that's how um, a pros. Well, certainly this is, I'm saying everybody's the same. This is how my brain works right now. When I'm looking at even when I was a player, I'd be going right. Enjoy this. You enjoy this for. If that had been me in that dressing room, I would have been. You know, I'd go to the fans after, at the end of the game, and then we'd be properly enjoying that for at least two minutes and then get yourself off, get yourself in the dressing room. And in the dressing room, there'd have been loads of high-fiving, loads of, yeah, right, come on, brilliant, all of that lot. Share that with each other before you get in the shower. Get in the shower, come out, go on the bus, you know, chest up high with a brilliant result. Get on your way home, start to bring yourself down a little bit. You live in moments of a day, half a day, and then you go, right, that's done, next, next, next. And that's how it is. yeah, it's quite weird. relentless, but and you enjoy at the end when you know when you're on top of the open bus and you've got something to celebrate, and or you you know that's when you enjoy it. I wouldn't be under any illusions that Mikel Arteta will make sure that they're not allowed to over enjoy or think too deeply about the yeah. consequences. And he was asked exactly that question yesterday in the press conference about you know is this the turning point? Is this a moment where you go? And and he you could see him just thinking like slow down here. And he said, quite rightly, I think I hope. They take it in a good way and they say, OK, from here we move to a different level and not say we've yeah. done it at Chelsea. Now we go somewhere else and that will be easy. I will not yeah. let them think like that. You know, it was as if to say you just knew he he meant business and that he wasn't going to believe any sort of hype or read too much into situations. And he knows Absolutely. how much work there is to do with this team. Well, I, I, that's one of the reasons why. And I've been um, a little bit critical or observationally critical with my teammates, etc., colleagues of that about Frank Lampard, how how he celebrates when they when they when they won at uh, Arsenal, how he celebrated when they won at um, Tottenham. You know, I understand that a lot of work goes in, and I'm not a manager, so it's easy for me to to make have an opinion on it. And people say, well, you you know, you don't know the relief they're going through when <clears throat> you get a result like that. And I do because I've been a player, so I know, but. You you have to be he's looking at a manager going you know kissing the badge and staying out there for five ten minutes with the fans and going yeah we've and I was like well bring the trophy on what what hang on a minute you haven't listen you it's brilliant do get that wave the fans big high five enjoy it with them for two minutes and then get yourself off and I think and I've I said somebody I think somebody close to Frank maybe I don't know it'd be a good idea just to just to mention that to him. You know, it might be something. It just seems a bit over the top for me at times, and um, you got to get back to work. And I'm, you know, that's just an observation from my point of view. And I think with Arteta, you've got something the complete opposite. He's been round Pep a lot. He's learned, you know, he's he's learned he'll have learned so much off him that it puts us in. He puts him in great um, standing for when these moments come up. And one of those moments would have been last night. A brilliant performance. And trying to calm you lot down in the press and going, yeah, okay, just calm yourself down. This is where it is. It did it. You know, and that's that's part of his job. Yeah. Lee, as a right back, um, try and explain to us 
how it is for Hector Bellerin to have a moment like mm-hmm. that. He's been out for a year with a cruciate. He's yeah. worked his way back a lot of hard yards in the gym on his own. And you could see how much it meant to him to be in stoppage time. He must have been hurting. He's played, what, three, four Premier League games since he's come yeah. back from injury. And mm-hmm. yeah, he had that the guts and the desire and the technique to go in on his wrong foot and mm-hmm. and save the game in that way. Yeah, I mean, I was really pleased for him. I was jumping up in the in the box, as I said, when, when Graham was describing it. And, uh, and then I had my little piece and added that on. And I was saying how pleased I was for him because obviously I, re- I relate to the, the full-backs as you said more than any other player on the pitch so I know exactly what, what what's troubling him at any minute in the game and I watch I tend to watch them a little bit closer than the other players and I know that he looked um, there was times in the game he looked really tired and I was kind of oh just need a bit of help and and then other times when he was right on it and he was you know in in that energy moment where you you know you're on top of your game and he had his winger and he was winning tackles and then so you you ebb and flow during a game of of highs and lows and that was certainly one of the big highs and you know swing swinging his swinger with his left foot like that I can relate to that as well because I've, I I didn't get that many with my left foot but when they do fly off your laces they kind of I think they surprise everybody and they certainly surprise the goalkeeper because I you know it just went straight in the corner and and he's so funny it was it was um. I watched him when he when he went in, and everyone ran to the fans, and he didn't. He sort of ran a little bit, and then he went. You know, his he, his head was switched on. He had his captain's armband on, and he was. And I thought, yeah, well done. You know, you could have easily gone running into the crowd, then jumping. I, you know, it would have been tempting for him to get involved in that. But I saw a side to him that I went. Oh, you know what? Well done, because he just switched himself back into. Still a few minutes to go. You know, we've got, and he let them all go to the fans, and he celebrated on the way running back with a couple of the lads so it showed his maturity there really I'm really pleased for him and he went back to his kind of restart position and sort of looked up at the heavens and then went down on the grass and kissed the pitch it was sort of a really sweet moment it was as if I think maybe he was having a moment to himself to recognize that he's had a hard journey to get back to this point it was sorry Lee go on no, go on. I, I, yeah, I mean, th- those moments are, are, are pure gold um, for any any fan to see that and for any player. He's not doing that for effect. I mean, I I, I wouldn't necessarily be kissing the, the grass at Stamford Bridge, but that's another point. <laughs> We've been chatting. You've both, Amy and James, you've both been involved writing pieces which which talk a little bit about the role of agents um, I mean, there was there was a piece about David Louise and talking about how that move does not happen without uh, Kia Jarabjian. James, you were writing about this. Yeah, well, I mean, Kia's involvement is he's very careful to stress that he's not an agent. He is a player representative, but certainly he's involved in the careers of a lot of footballers. Um, but he was involved with the David Louise deal to come to Arsenal because he's got a very good relationship with Edu. They worked together plenty at Corinthians in Brazil where Kia was sort of leading an investment group who put a lot of money into that club. Uh, Edu Lake was a player there and a director of football. And, and a couple of Kia's players turned up then when Edu was sort of technical director there. So there's a long relationship going back. We've seen maybe that coming back with the, the news of Kazawa interest from Arsenal. Kia is again involved there. So 
it's a, it's a, it's an interesting facet of modern football, really. For a long time with Arsene, you know, it felt like we didn't engage with these kind of agents at all. Uh, and now we are, and it feels very sort of culturally different. And there's good and bad to it, I guess. Well, Lee, this is what I want to ask you. I mean, do you think it's gone too far the other way? I guess when you started, did you have, you had agents by the end. Did you have an agent at the beginning of your career? No, I didn't have an agent uh, at the end um, that looked after my contracts. I did it all myself. And maybe, you know, in hindsight, when I look back, I go, did I, would, I have, would I have got any more money or done a better deal with an agent, mate? But, um, yeah, I think it, it's just the way the game's gone. And once a, the runaway, runaway train is, is on its tracks and going, there's little to stop it. They're very powerful now. The players, you know, basically turn everything over to them and say, yeah, we're going to run my life. And once it's like that, um, ultimately you say, well, it's a player's decision. But, you know, a lot of the players are, are cajoled and put in a position where you you think, well, I've got no other choice now. I've got to do this or that. And I, I think it has gone a little bit too the other way. But, you know, who am I sitting from the outside? Completely the opposite from when I started to where it is now. I think somewhere in the middle was, would probably be about right, but I don't think we'll ever go back to those days, that's for sure. It doesn't feel that way. Uh, Lee, we're going to let you go. Uh, I think a step in the right direction, I think we can say that. Uh, yeah, it's been absolutely. lovely to speak to you, Lee, as always. And you. See you soon, boys and girls. We're going to win the league. We're going to win the league. <laughs> We mentioned him briefly beforehand, Amy, uh, Granite Xhaka. Uh, I feel like the uh, redemption is not too strong a word, I think, in this case. The redemption of Granite Xhaka is is basically complete in terms of what happened. This is what you wrote about in your piece last night. Mm, I mean, I, I, I was watching his performance yesterday and it just stood out how much... I've been thinking about the, you know, we've talked about it before on the pod, but the issue of leadership within the group and... Granite Jack is such a fascinating figure in terms of his whole time at the club. He has this, uh, you know, has certain people who just can't see his good sides. He's got there are elements of his game that's slightly reminiscent of Gilberto Silva and the Invisible Wall. I think he does quite a lot of work that people don't see. Um, he is absolutely adored within the camp for his, you know, for the kind of person that he is. He's an important character within that dressing room um but everybody clearly sees the moments of recklessness that have undone him his performances and arsenal's games over time and i think when we had that episode that flared up in the autumn between him and the fans it felt so extreme it was such an unusually harsh situation Mm. and his personal reaction to it was so intense and the fact really that he's still not actually particularly apologised is is quite interesting. And I remember speaking to people at the time and there were fairly well-connected people who looked you in the eye and said he's never going to play for Arsenal again. And that was the... It, the strength of feeling was so deep. Mm. The, the hurt that he personally felt, rightly or wrongly, whether he contributed or not, um, to the reception that he got that day from the fans and how he kind of exploded because of it was so profound that it it did feel a bit like there was no way back. For him to then come back to the point, it was quite subtle in this reintroduction to the team and there was enough else going on that it wasn't such a big deal. 
But his, his individual performance yesterday, what he put on the line for the team, the maturity with which he played, he was constantly cajoling, uh, pointing, giving directions to make sure that, that that back four was doing its job. And let's face it, it was a, a difficult back four to be in when he's not a defender. Saka next to him is not a defender. Mustafi is Mustafi. Not a defender. You know, and Bellerin is coming back from, <laughs> from his injury. And, and he held it together with, I thought, a really, really smashing performance. And... Um, it, it makes you rethink things maybe slightly and what a few months for him. I mean, I just can't really imagine how it must feel. And he felt he looked such a big part of it at the end and going over to the fans and taking, you know, his... He was quite... Him and Mesut Ozil were towards the the back. They weren't really kind of central figures at the final whistle going up to the, up to the fans to soak it all up. It was almost like they'd sort of... They had that extra layer of, I've seen a lot in football and... You know, not to get too carried away with things. Yeah, they, they've been through. They've both been through quite a lot of the season. In fairness, a lot of a lot of the players have, and that's why I think a moment like that can mean so much. You talked earlier about the, you know, the fan experience and what it felt like, and you could you see those communal moments, and and when when the fans were, you know, it was it was boisterous in there. It really was, and it it made me think of sort of old school Sylvino Nigel Winterburn type of yeah. moments when that goal from Bellerin went in and the celebrations were wild Calm. and you could see the that almost unreal like this is unbelievable like eyes wide like roaring mad stuff going on and I think it was an important moment and it was like look this team that the fans have found it difficult to trust have come back twice with 10 men away from home. And and it was brilliant to see that complicity between players and supporters. You know, we touched on it with the Martinelli celebration, but it was more than that. It was the way that after the goals, they sort of collectively went over, even if Bellerin, Bellerin was a bit withdrawn. And the way at the end of the game, they just shared that moment. And Arteta's talked about it a lot, you know, wanting to reconnect the players and the fans. It's something Jurgen Klopp did so brilliantly, I think, at Liverpool. And Arteta is helping to do that, I think, with how well he communicates. And just on Shaq, Amy, I mean, he is clearly, whatever his status with the captaincy may be now, the players regard him as a leader, don't they? And you could see that in the way the back four was organised. And I know you know something in the Crystal Palace game that I just think is absolutely fascinating regarding his personal relationship with, with the captaincy. Yeah, well, um, a, a pal of mine observed this and I just thought it was fascinating. At Crystal Palace, um, when Aubameyang gets sent off, he's the captain, he then handed the armband over to Lacazette, I think, who was the, the next one down in, in the leadership group. Um I think after that, it would naturally be Urza, but he'd been subbed and then Lacazette got subbed. So when Lacazette was going off, he kind of looked around the pitch. Who do I give the armband to? And there wasn't really anybody obvious. I think they'd sort of run out of options. So he went to give it to Xhaka and Xhaka actually didn't want it um, and and looked very reluctant to take it. And Socrates came over and shouted at him to put the armband on, which tells you something about the respect that an experienced player like Socrates, for example, has for Xhaka in that environment. Um, and I think he was a little bit uh, reluctant to do so, but he did put the armband on. And it sort of went, I noticed he played about 10 minutes of that game with the armband back on. After all that business where he was stripped of the captaincy seemed quite pertinent. And at the end of the game, when he went to go and um, applaud the fans at Selhurst Park, he made the conscious decision to take the armband off and just keep it in his hands when he went to applaud the, the fans, as if it was a line that maybe shouldn't quite yet be crossed to stand there with the armband on in front of the fans and 
you know, aware that it might be taken the wrong way or it might upset people or it's there's a wound or I thought it showed a sort of interesting self-awareness. At the end of your piece um, about Xhaka and you said how the fans and Xhaka both maybe felt it had gone too far, maybe we'd pushed it a little bit too hard and I sort of, maybe there's a bit of collective guilt going on there and people are gone, do you know what, as long as you turn up, which is what we want to see from the whole team, let's be fair, you you wrote, wrote a piece about Saka and how he stepped up and this was also in regard to the fact that we may be bringing in Kazawa from um, from PSG and looking at the way Saka has performed the last few games you wrote this piece after the Sheffield United game when he set up Martinelli for the goal and again last night this is a guy who could play left back for Arsenal for the next 15 years he could but he could also play left wing I mean I'm not, not suggesting for a moment that he's going to be left back forever because he's got loads of quality going forward and he's a, a boy who throughout his career uh, has been heavily involved in goals and, and assists and creativity well imagine but him what, and Tierney but, going down but the this left is, this is a, a part of his development that is potentially really interesting to spend that period now knowing that he's got a mm. track back knowing he's got to have sense of where people are moving along the flank um, how to you know how to be able to intercept and and distribute with a bit more composure and a bit more discipline, and I you know he's he's eighteen so his options are open. First of all, I'm delighted he's getting game time because yeah. he's real quality as is Martinelli. And circumstances have given this door that's open to both of them to be in the team at an interesting period of Arsenal's evolution. So that in itself is great. Where he goes from here, I don't know, but all I know is that. Any Arsenal supporter and hopefully anybody involved in the club at any level would want players around now at this point where we're trying to rebuild something under Arteta who are made of the right stuff, who have that ability to put team before self, who, you know, who there's something about their character as well as their technical ability that you feel happy to have in your team. Remember who you are, what you are and what you are. Yeah, and I'm just... The things that you hear about Kazawa don't necessarily tally up with those ideals and principles. James, you're nodding along here. And and you've got uh, Tierney hopefully coming back who deserves a good run in the team when he's, and I'm sure he'll be absolutely desperate to play. He's all all those characteristics of determination and fight that you saw at Chelsea last night. And and Sayad Kalasnac is much improved under Arteta. And Saka has shown that he can do a fantastic job against difficult opponents in recent matches. So is this the best use of Arsenal's precious resources? James? I don't think so. And the noises we're hearing out of the club is that they want to reserve a lot of money to spend in the summer. They don't want to use a huge amount of resource in January. So they've got to be very careful with what they do. I think that one of the strangest things about this potential deal is where it leaves you in the summer. When you've got Kieran Tierney back, you've got Kolasinac there as well, you've got Kazawa, and you've got Bukayo Saka who can fill in at left back. You've got four potential people for one position. I mean, that's just not going to be sustainable. Obviously, someone's going to go. But it just seems odd to sort of create that overload at a time when it doesn't feel especially necessary. It's a, it's a weird allocation of resource. One little thing, or a couple of little things before we go. Can we have a round of applause for Pepe jogging off at the same pace that Tierney? The, uh, the, uh, <laughs> I, I was just outstanding. I loved the fact he, because the, the referee's telling him to hurry up and he's jogging, but he's essentially jogging on the spot. I really enjoyed that. And it did strike <laughs> me that that's what we crucify Granite Shaka for, but in very different circumstances. Different circumstances. We were one all at the time. Uh, we also, by the way, before we uh, go, need to have a song. 
uh, because, um, well, it was it was a joyous experience by the end last night. It did take you through the emotions, didn't it, somewhat? Have we got a song for that uh, moment, Amy? LTJ Bookham, a song called Mood Swings, um, which has got a lyric in it which just made me think, ooh, gave me the tingles. It was what came in my head afterwards. And it says, what can we overcome? What makes us stumble and fall and somehow miraculously rise and go on? I like the sound of that. That in fact it may be necessary to encounter defeats so we can know who the hell we are. Every week I forget this. I think given Martinelli and Saka, I'd have to go smells like teen spirit. You know what? I can't top that. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, thank you very, very much for listening to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you to Amy. Thank you to James. Thank you to Lee Dixon. And thank you to Tayo for producing. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. We, I do believe we may have our Arsenal back. <laughs> 